sort of see, see ourselves as, as really not being in charge of anything here, but just, you know, being the kind of the guardians of it, open for everyone. I mean, this is this is the people of Somerset's story here, so I, I really do encourage anyone to come and view it. Hello and welcome to The Slice. Each week I'll be eating a slice of something nice and talking to the people who make living in Somerset great. My name is Lynn O'Halloran and my guests come from all walks of life, but they all share one thing in common, a passion for the county of Somerset and a desire to make it a great place to live, to work or to visit. If you feel the same way about Somerset, follow The Slice on your favourite podcast player and give yourself some time to listen, relax and discover more about the people who are making Somerset life simply great. It was the Jamaican activist Marcus Garvey who said, a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin and culture is like a tree without roots. And the continued existence of local, regional, national museums across the globe shows us that a desire to learn about and learn from the past is still important to us all. It's certainly important to my guest, Sean Pringle Posikowski, who is the manager of the Museum of Somerset, which is housed within the walls of Taunton Castle, whose own history dates back to the 12th century. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the Slice Somerset. I'm very grateful that you've agreed to come and uh, be my guest. I'm a big fan of museums and the Somerset Museum is absolutely gorgeous, wonderful place to visit. Perhaps we could start, you could tell me a little bit about what the typical day is like for a manager of a local museum. Oh, certainly. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. Uh, but right, a, t- a typical day for us, let's say there's, there's no such thing as typical. It varies all, the, all over the place. But obviously, we before the, the site opens to the public, we do all the security things. We unlock it and get it ready, all the cleaning aspects, that sort of thing. And then throughout the day, we can have schools visiting. We can have room hires occurring. Or we're even putting on events ourselves, which is really the fun part. So what kind of events have you had recently? Generally aimed in the, the holiday periods uh, for families, that sort of thing. We've got a few people here that sort of like reenacting and dressing up and things and doing a bit more of a, a living history sort of feel to things. Um, so that's really nice. Not to mention we've got lots of people that are very craft orientated. And so we like to use everyone's skills here to sort of almost educate and pass on things to other people whether it's usage of clay or just the ability to to come somewhere paint something and have someone else clear it up for you (laughs) so for you personally do you find you're spending more time at your desk or do you get to walk around the museum and sort of engage with the artifact on a day-to-day basis well, I, I've been uh, a manager here for li- literally just a year now. I think in, in two days, it's my year. I, I completely have noticed that my t- interaction time, in a sense, has, has gone down because there's a lot more admin type stuff to do. Um, however, I think you notice far more the value of it when you do have these wonderful interactions, whether it's actually leading an activity or even just with walking around, uh, seeing a member of the public, looking at something and potentially giving them an extra bit of information. And you just really have that impact on someone and see that enthusiasm sort of go into them. And it almost can make people's days. It just certainly makes my day anyway. For 11 years, I used to work in uh, sort of normal retail. And um, 
you sort of have that in the back of your mind that is what you're doing the most, you know, the valuable, most resource to human society that you can give. And is, yeah. Are there positives in this or not? And, and it's wonderful to have a job where actually that sense of goodwill really comes out and it's, it's very rewarding. You know, for me, one of the one of the joys is that you know, attached to every museum and art gallery is a shop. Oh, you know, completely, it's yes. just it's, so it's the the perfect combination, really, for me. Anyway, so I'm kind of interested to know a bit more about your career before you join the museum. So you've worked in in retail, really. Then is that is that your background? It is. I I actually trained in art and design um, and graphic design and advertising uh, in in Taunton uh, years ago. And then I sort of never did anything with it and went into retail. Um, I started a family and all of that sort of stuff. And kind of life caught up with me to a point where I think I'd aged quite a bit and sort of wasn't happy with my place in it. Um, And then decided to take a leap into something like the unknown, really, because I wasn't required so much to do the the house husbandy, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. And um, I took the plunge and I could never have been happier, to be honest. Oh, that's that's good to hear. So did you study at uh, Somerset College, previously known as SCAT? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. yeah so I did my degree course there. Um, oh, excellent. I mean, I, I'm originally from Glastonbury. So I was sort of born and bred there, went to, to Strode College in Street and then came up here. The museum has... Uh, a- sort of special events as, as you've said and it has um, a series of sort of rotating exhibitions doesn't it alongside the sort of permanent collection what, what's the sort of process for deciding on those temporary exhibitions do, do you get involved in that um to a degree it's we we have a really wonderful team that put on the the exhibitions in itself whether it's an in-house one which we're heading much more into producing our own content um, than we previously have. So we have a design team that are, you know, in, in charge of the actual content, meeting with, say, the the artists or the illustrators or whoever has a collection and development all the way through up until actually putting it in situ. More and more, we're getting really nice collaborations between all apartments. So even from the volunteers that we have manning the galleries, their inputs are really valued information into actually how we develop the rooms or the spaces in the future. And just um, so it's a really nice collaboration from everywhere as to actually what comes on and more and more, which is really nice, especially now that we're a little bit past COVID and things are, you know, sort of getting into more of the, the regularity. We're able to use items from the whole of the collection. So um, at the moment then, what sort of percentage of items of the collection are, are sort of on display in the museum at any one time? It's a really, really small amount. Um, mm. the, the museum in itself is laid out telling you the, the story of Somerset. So that's sort of 400 million years of, of history laid out in nine galleries. And then we have one much more frequently changing gallery. Um, we also have a portable antiquities case which from the, the fines liaison officers and any budding metal detectorists or people like that that have found items and reported them the, the proper ways and everything might find their way into having more current objects that are discovered in and within Somerset. I was in um, Cardiff at the weekend um, and went to the museum there and it was amazing to see that there was a footprint of 
a dinosaur that a young girl had discovered. Um, I think she was only about four years old, but she'd spotted it on on the beach when she was out walking with her parents. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Astonishing to think that these things are still being discovered. Oh, it is. And um, as a kid, I used to love finding fossils, and and I and I take the, my kids out now, and we absolutely love it too. Um, but what I didn't know is when a fossil is uncovered in on say on the beach, you've only got about thirty days before it's washed away again. And, it, and oh, really? yeah, I always thought these things just existed waiting for people to find them, but but no, not at all. These once they're uncovered, they're open to the elements and the sea, and and, and then it's gone. So it, oh, it's okay. almost like a little snapshot in time that everyone has to discover these things. The, the collections in itself uh, are trying to create a record of Somerset. So that can be in any form that it takes. Uh, some of the more strange things, I suppose, would be different farm machinery that might have mm. someone might have developed for themselves and never took off, or different clothing or documents that might be someone's bill for running a hall somewhere um all aspects like that up into uh i think a, a 1950s gas cooker which might have been mm. produced and i'm pretty sure we've probably got a hoover a henry hoover in there somewhere too for possibility but <laughs> <laughs> perhaps you should say um a dyson hoover because that uh, are they somerset based so, well, I'm guessing the henry's that. are as well yeah, yeah oh are they yes, oh, yeah, okay yeah. i didn't know that i'm very fond of my own henry hoover <laughs> Well, you could you could fly the flag of Somerset with pride. We <laughs> did use it. I mean, I'm a real fan of museums. You know, I think they're hugely important. But I'm interested to know, you know, how you think the museum contributes to life in Somerset and to people's experience of the county. Well, one of the things I've always wanted to do. I don't know if it's my sort of angle of using museums and and libraries and things like that as a parent um, has been to sort of be as accessible and open to anyone. Um, I found it quite difficult to find places with young children to be able to go and feel comfortable and secure. I think there's quite a lot of, well, maybe insecurity in myself, and then you get quite a lot of judgment, I suppose, put upon you as, as a parent, whether your child is loud or mm. all of this sort of stuff. And we've created a place really that's completely open for everyone we're trying to break down i suppose that dusty museum image and get people in and see that actually it's a really fun place but i mean just to have that experience of walking around and being able to literally walk over a, a dinosaur or all, all of that sort of aspect it's, it's just it's a bit more of a fuller tactile experience really and and again we we try and support this with um, the the price bracket of being free. Mm. Uh, we, we request if you're able to to leave a donation, but then that's you know down to your own personal circumstances, and that's one aspect we've really tried to keep. And in doing so, we're also opening up different uh, avenues of of trying to attract people in. We we run a toddler session now every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, which is just a, a free drop in uh, where we just do a simple story craft activity um, and a sing song but it, it's just a way of sort of welcoming people in out of the cold um, have a bit mm. of fun with other like-minded parents potentially um, and experience the museum yeah so the museum becomes somewhere that you can just go to 
for fun for a short period. It doesn't have to be a a school trip or a serious endeavor, but it's just a space in the town, in the community that people can use. Exactly. And and I think from, mm. from our sort of legacy of being in a castle in itself, which was the, the focal point of Taunton at one point, it's trying to put that back into Taunton and be a focal point for people to come and meet or, or anything else they'd like to do. Because the museum was closed for a while, wasn't it, for refurbishment? And redevelopment a few years back, I think. Or am I making that up? Ten years ago, it went oh, into gosh. its sort of modern guise. So we've yeah, almost okay. eleven years, I suppose. No, actually, um, right. So we, time we, flies. Yeah, doesn't it just? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we are as we are now, uh, and have been for for those ten years. Right. Okay. Because I just think that the way you know the funding that's that's been available really for local museums to modernize just the actual space that they exist in you know makes them like you say a, a lot more accessible yes and shifts away from that sort of you know dusty cabinets and sort of dark rooms it does and i think the more technologies become available um and and more widespread and accessible i mean 10 years ago mobile phones weren't even as common as they are now for example mm. um especially with the technology that you can do on them so there's always scope in the future to try and create interactive things and, and, and more things of that sort of ilk. Yeah, absolutely. I think the way that um, yeah, technology is used in museums now is absolutely phenomenal, really. There's, there's some really amazing innovation. It becomes a much more interesting environment for not, not only the, the, the little children, but also sort of preteens and teenagers to kind of engage with museums and, and history and art. Yeah, I, th- I think you've, you've hit on something very important there, because I think there's a whole generation of people potentially that feel quite insecure about actually interacting with things in the real terms, but much more comfortable with things on a screen. Um, so almost giving them that gateway into a museum via something they're familiar with might assist in that interaction. So where does the funding come from for that sort of development? A lot of what I've just been saying is very much wish list stuff that we'd love to be able to do. Mm. Um, but there are grants and things or funding available through, say, Arts Council England. Lottery has done funding in the past. But we we shall see. I mean, we we've been lucky enough. Mm. We are now uh, an MPO organisation due to the content that we produce and where we aspire to do in the future. So hopefully, there should be a lot more outreach type stuff coming oh, and, okay. and so, accessible based content coming from us. Oh, okay. So what does that stand for? It's, it's a national portfolio organisation. It's a title that focuses on where your priorities are and what you want to achieve. Um, and again, it's it's down to that being accessible to people. It's it's you know reaching members of the community that might not engage with the museum as such. It's mm. it's in a lot of cases going out to them with collections to village halls with items, uh, telling them the story of maybe where they come from. One one of the things that we've done here in the past is uh, when we've had some Ukrainian refugees in, we'll come in with a translator for example, because what better way than welcoming a group of people to a new country by giving them the history of the land and the people that live here. I think with that slight extra knowledge of um, where you come from comes a little bit more confidence in in sort of where you are now as a well-being aspect. Life has always gone on 
Um, there's always peaks and troughs and you can see it all laid out for you. So do you find that your audience is primarily local or do you reach out beyond that and sort of try and uh, engage with uh, the, the tourist economy? Uh, well, we are, we are the, the county museum in a sense. So we, we do tell the story of the whole of Somerset. Um, and as the, the Southwest heritage, which we're part of, has grown, uh, we do sort of slightly breach into the southwest of the UK as well. Uh, it was lovely during, uh, again, pandemic times when everyone was doing the, the whole staycation affair. We were getting people from all over the UK coming to visit. And I think what we have and what we have on offer is really intriguing because we get we used to get so many questions of why Somerset has got so many artefacts. And I think in reality, everywhere had the life that Somerset had. But Somerset had the right conditions to keep it preserved. We had huge amounts of peat marshes. So we have this wonderful, huge, vast record of objects through thousands and thousands of years of human occupation, whereas other places, they would have all degraded and might only have a small selection. So the actual nature of the physical landscape has enabled Somerset to be a a site for discovery. Yes, and natural preservation in a sense. Okay, that's fascinating. I hadn't really, I'd never thought of that. you said you unfortunately you know like all of us have to spend quite a lot of time sat at your computer dealing with the the admin side of running uh, a local museum but I'm sure you must have some favorite artifacts do you want to reveal what some of your favorites are well my favorite sort of collection that we have I think is probably the uh, the hand axes that we have they're they're the the oldest human artifact that we have and they sort of go from 490,000 to 300,000 years ago but I think it's it's not really the object in itself. I think I think they're quite pretty things, but it's it's kind of what would be the mindset and the meaning behind it all. If if you were like a hunter gatherer type of person and you have this magical stone that you find, flint, and using it would you could make sharp edges with it. It could be a cutting tool. It could, you could make other tools with it. You could spark it you could get fire from it mm. you could, it, all of this effectively the whole of life was changed by this one substance that people could use and i don't think there's a single thing today that we have apart from maybe say i don't know electricity or, or something massive around that but i'd say it's even more than that i don't know would you say the invention of the of the flint I guess the, the, the use of the discovery i suppose mm. that of taking one thing and using it for something that and then it would really be ingrained into the whole of life which is why i suppose yeah. you find so many places around that have all these shavings of, of, of flint and, and everything else sparks and fire and leading on to sort of cooking and yes. things like that can change the well the course of mankind <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah would you fancy yourself as a hunter I, I, I think I'm way too ingrained in modern day life to do that. <laughs> but I mean I, I think we we could all probably take a step back from technology a little bit and mm. sort of live life a bit fuller <laughs> we, yeah, we live in such yeah. a lucky place um <laughs> in Somerset and and the UK in general that I think you don't necessarily realise that. Yeah, well, we've become very fixated in the last sort of 20, 30 years on 
the beauty and the the joy and the pleasure of going abroad, you know, for holidays and for breaks and exploring. But yeah, I think if people took a little bit of a step back and decided to explore their local neighbourhood and the rest of the UK, you realise that it is as interesting and as beautiful and fascinating as as anywhere that's overseas oh completely it's it's, it's a massive microcosm of sort of human development let, let alone geological mm. development so what's the most sort of interesting thing that you've learned about somerset's history uh since you started working at the museum yeah, for me it's it's not so much a a, a thing that i've learned again it, it's that it's almost the gaps between everything it's Growing up in, in Glastonbury, where you, you've got a, a million and one folk legends and lore of, of all spectrums, in a sense, um, stories of historical things, many of which you don't realise are actually based on true things, even aspects of history where, you know, you, you know that the Romans came, for example, and then you know that Alfred came with the Saxons, but what happened in between those? What was life like? And, and it's through the sort of objects that we have here and, and the, the chronological stories that we're trying to tell, you actually see that life goes on. It does, it's not just a definitive period that it stops and it's another one later on. It, they, they all flow into each other. Um, and it's lovely to see that almost laid out for you. Yeah, so, so I mean, we, we know sort of Somerset were generally kind of rebellious type people, but it's interesting not just to see them in the periods of actual rebellion such as the civil war or the monmouth rebellion but it's lovely to sort of see ways that they were communicating in between those periods and, and sort of what mm. they used to to bring forth those messages to people so why was somerset i mean i was having this conversation um with a another one of my guests about how bridgewater in particular is a rebellious community you know over ancient times to present perhaps yeah. <laughs> But I'm interested in, you know, why does Somerset have that reputation? What was it about the, the county that has sort of brought that about? I think there's probably two aspects. Uh, one will be religion. If things change in London, they filter down slower to the West Country. I think mm. that's always an aspect. And I think tied to that will be just the the contact the West Country has with sort of major places in the U- in the UK or England um it was obviously harder to travel down here we up until 150 years ago we were just talking about the levels there was a, a huge marshland that stopped a lot of people coming and going so most of especially the the southwest peninsula was sort of more coastal looking sort of outwards in terms of trade with europe or anywhere else um or just you know skipping along the coastlines than it was internally Mm. you know physically remote from developments that are happening in the sort of more populous cities and areas like and a feeling that you know we have our own identity and you know just quite like to be just left alone thank you very much I think so, yeah <laughs> yeah we, ha- we haven't done our cake don't I know. Haven't, no, I haven't read it. I'm just having sitting here intrigued. looking at it. Um, so, what sort of cake have you got then, Sean? Well, I have a slice of carrot cake. I see. I, I must admit, I'm, I'm not an overly sweety type person. I kind of always like a bit of savoury in my sweets. Um, so, yes, this is a, a lovely slice from from our cafe downstairs. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. So, and, and are the, the cakes sort of made by the cafe or do you get them in from a local provider? They're, they're baked locally, yes. Yeah. yeah. So they're all fresh for us. And it's a, it's called the Courtyard Cafe downstairs. And it's run by a husband and wife team, Trevor and Shona. Um, and, and the best thing, this is, my mm. wife will give me brownie points for saying this, is, <laughs> is it's a gluten-free cake. I, I'm guessing that this isn't the first time you've had this. No, no, cake, no, then. not at all. No. No. Okay, so let's have a look. Has it got frosting or it is does. it a plain? I, I can, oh, there we are. So oh, yeah, we, very we've nice. Got, we've got some nuts on the top. We've got, good. We've got a, I've got a good, a good ratio of carrot on the inside. Yep, yep, we yep. can see there. Yeah, uh, not too much well, frosting because, again, it, you know, not too much sweet. No, and you <laughs> want to be able to taste the actual cake, don't you? That's it. So have a little taster. Okay. And then I'll tell you what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so the carrot cake then, a little yes. verdict. Well, I'd, I'd give it, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll never give things top marks, but I totally go for <laughs> nine and a half. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's good. Mine is pear Ooh. and ginger. It was, it was a loaf, <laughs> but I've eaten the rest of it. I did manage to save, save a slice for today. Uh, so it's pear and ginger. And I bought this um, from the WI shop in Bath Place in Taunton. I don't know if you've ever been down there on on the weekend they have the most amazing cakes uh, so I went for this one and you'd probably like it because it's actually quite um, gingery you know it's got quite a savoury uh, flavour to it and it is quite Oops. dense you know so even excellent though, whoops and it is delicious mm. and what I liked about it as well was the, mm. the packaging munch 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 it just came it came in a bag, but it had a little sticker on it that yep. told me that a lady called Val baked this cake. Yeah. And she lives in TA3. So whoever whoever you are, Val in TA3, the cake was delicious. <laughs> so so the cafe then, that's an important part of, of the museum setup, is it? It is completely, yes, because I, I think I've I mean, again, going back to my parental taking children around days, there's, there's mm. nothing more important than being able to, you know, have that little treat at the end. Um, and, and our cafe does that perfectly for us. So they do sort of soups and sandwiches and they've got a wonderful little children's lunch bundle thing that mm. they can do. Not to mention, I mean, they, they all started off uh, running a coffee van. So they've got excellent coffee and, and hot drinks. <laughs> So and the cafe's open it's, it's ten a.m. to five a.m. five it, p.m. every day. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, well, four thirties yeah, last orders mm-hmm. um, on the days that we're open, which is Tuesday to Saturday. Right. Okay. And I know um, in the summertime, it's a lovely courtyard. Oh, completely! It, it catches the sun. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's it's a really lovely space, but hidden behind the walls of the castle. Yes. It's sometimes a, a nice break from the hustle and bustle of the centre mm. of Taunton. Obviously, I'm sure you're, you know, passionate about the Somerset Museum, which is based in Taunton. But as you've as you've alluded to, that the county has an enormous wealth of heritage and heritage sites, as does the UK as a whole. What's your sort of favourite heritage site in Somerset, you know, and or in in the UK, you know, that you like to visit or that inspires you? Um, well, I, I don't think I can go. Well, I, I couldn't say anything without mentioning the tour. I think Glastonbury tour. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's. I think that's ingrained as part of my psyche somehow. 
Um, and then years later, when I moved to Wellington, but I'm sure there was a slight subconsciousness that I had to have a pillar on a hill somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, so I, I couldn't go far without that. I mean, Somerset's really, really lucky in places. Uh, we've got, you know, Cheddar, we've got uh, Deer Leap near there, we've got Wells Cathedral. An interesting one, actually, is uh, the Rural Life Museum um, in Glastonbury. Um, so I, I was born at Chalice Well, just you know, just at the foot of the tour. And every morning I used to go to get eggs at the Rural Life Museum. Um, years and years, obviously, I, was, I think I was about two or three at the time. And um, so now all, all those sort of wagons and things that the chickens used to roost in, we now have an heritage centre. So it's, it's really strange how things come around again. It's always a, a challenge, like you say, with, uh, you know, funding and, you know, in, encouraging people to, to visit, uh, keeping the museum free, but obviously needing donations and volunteers and so on and so forth. Is there anything that you would like to see either change in Somerset or something that could be done to improve the position of local museums in the county? I think it will be interesting to see what occurs in April with Somerset going to this unitary status. I think that will change a lot in the way that we view ourselves as a county, um, whether that's more integrated and more sort of inward looking or more outward looking towards London, I, I can't say. Um, but I really, really hope that there's a consensus that preserving our own history as much, if not more than we have been and sort of investing in history museums and arts for our communities i mean we, we're a hotbed of artistic people here and it would be a shame to let that dwindle so for 2023 can you tell us anything about what might be happening in in the museum over the coming 12 months? Yes, certainly. So, so at present, um, we've got our In Fashion exhibition. Um, so that's from our collection. It's 400 years of the changes of fashion. Um, so that's on until the 10th of March. Uh, and then we've got an exhibition on Ivy Millicent James, who was a commercial postcard artist uh, who was very famous for being oh, a okay. suffragette and being a part of that movement. And then that moves into our sort of big summer project, which will be a, a family activity based on the illustrator Axel Scheffler. So he's most famous for illustrating the Gruffalo. So it'll be a big exhibition based on illustrations, sort of telling his story throughout his life, really. If people want to stay up to date with, um, with what's going on, then... Uh, Instagram and Facebook and presumably Twitter. Uh, That's it. Yeah, yeah, they're all there. There's mm -hmm. a, a Southwest Heritage website too, which you can sign up to a newsletter, um, and that will give you constant updates. Um, not just, I mean, you can choose what to receive updates from, but it'll be our site. Um, and you can choose all the other sites we have around Somerset as well. Right. Okay. So that's a good way to stay informed and plan some days out. Exactly. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sean. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Slice, the show for lovers of Somerset, where I talk and eat cake with the people who make living, working and visiting this county great. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please tell everyone you know. Help others find out how fabulous Somerset is. Share episodes or share the slice on social media. If you know someone who is making life in Somerset great and who likes to chat, let me know. Message me on Instagram or Facebook. Thank you to Pixel Bay for the music. <laughs>